You're listening to the Sojourn Mantras podcast. We're currently in the book of Philippians. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmantras.com. We're going to jump right into Philippians. We've got some some work to do uh, this morning. We have been walking through this series. We're kind of coming towards the the end of the book. And what we've titled this series is, is Life in a New City. Life in a New City. And here's, here's what I want us to understand or or know about that, right? Um, when we talk about life in the new city, the way, the way we think about what Jesus has done is encapsulated in that phrase, right? So here's, here's what we believe about Jesus, just real briefly, right? We believe that, that uh, humanity essentially wrecked itself, right? That it was created perfect, but that it wrecked itself and that it's been broken for a really long time. That's essentially what most of the, the biblical narrative is about, just kind of showing us our brokenness, holding up a mirror and saying, look, this is who you are as a people. You are hopeless. And yet the Bible promises that there would be a hope to come. And we believe that that hope is Jesus, that Jesus, as he said, came and that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that he made a way for us to the Father, not just a way, the way to the Father. And we believe that that by virtue of that, by, by virtue of Jesus's good work, we're now redeemed to live lives that can, can mirror or sort of image the pre-fall humanity, right? That perfection, that harmony, that rhythm that we were always created to live in. And so when we talk about a new city, what, what, what we really believe is that when we, as the church, as followers of Jesus, come underneath the reign and rule of Jesus, when we let him, when we submit our lives to him, that it really does like, change or create essentially a new, a new community, like a new society, right? Like we, we believe that's what happens. And so what Philippians really has done for us thus far is kind of juxtapose the old city with the new city, right? So I'm, let me just walk you real quickly through the first uh, couple of chapters, right? The, the, the first chapter, that first half, it, it talks about how in the new city, in this new community of believers, rather than selfishness, we have this enduring selfless partnership, right? Like Paul's grateful for the partnership of the Philippian church. He says, look, that's not possible apart from the gospel working in you. Right, what, go on a little bit more. What does it say? He talks about the advance of the gospel, how in the old city, there was sort of this stagnant relative truth that gets us nowhere. It's just circular dialogue, circular reasoning. And then he tells us, no, there's an advancing objective truth that is the gospel that is moving forward in spite of what anyone would try to do to quell it. And right, move down a little bit a little bit further, right? Paul talks about how his labor now, because he's a Christian, his labor is now fruitful, right? So before our labor was toil, right? Before we labored really for no reason other than we're going to, to a grave. And yet Paul says, no, look, if I live, then my life is fruitful labor in Christ, what else does he go on to say? We move down a little bit, right? He goes on to talk about the unity of the church, right? That people are drawn together by the gospel of Jesus and that that's only possible in light of the gospel. So in the old city, we have disunity, we have fragmentation, right? Separation, segregation. And now in the new city, we have unity, diversity in that unity, Right? He goes on, he continues to paint this picture, right? In the old city, there's pride, there's arrogance, there's people operating in light of their own self. And then he 
gives us this example of Jesus and he says, look, in the new city, the new city is characterized by humility, service of others, counting oneself less significant than the other. Right? And then he, I mean, it just keeps going. He says, look, there, there used to be darkness, but look, now there's light. Right? And so in the, the old city is a dark city. The new city is a city of light. He keeps going. In the old city, there's righteousness according to works. Right? Like your righteousness, your worth, your, your standing was according to what you could do or provide. But in the new city, in light of Jesus, righteousness comes through his works, not your own. Right? So he's painting this entirely different picture of what life underneath the reign and rule of Jesus looks like. And it's filled with good and glorious things. And so today we're going to talk about how God in the new city redeems our striving. Redeems our striving. So that's the, the title of the sermon, The Art of Striving. Um, and we're just going to break this down like we always do, just verse by verse. So uh, Philippians 3, we're going to grab verse 12. And I'm just going to do the first half for right now. It's, he says this, this is Paul speaking. And he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, what is it that, that Paul is pressing on to make his own, right? We should probably ask that question. And, and, and last week, what we saw very clearly was that our righteousness, right? Like our good standing with God is not our own. It's something that Jesus gives us. Like it's his good works that get put in place of ours. And he takes upon himself our poor, our poor record. Right? And then he goes on at the end, really, verse 11, he says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Right? And we talked about how that's just a, like, this is almost like a conflicting message, right? So last week was all about just the gospel of Jesus, how he has done everything on our behalf, how we can add nothing to his good work. And then Paul's going to come at us now and say, but I, I, I press on towards this goal. I strive towards this end. I have not obtained this. I'm not already perfect, but I'm going to press on to make it my own. So what is it? It's, it, it's precisely what he's talking about in verse 11 when he says to attain the resurrection from the dead, that, that sort of final hope, that righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, if it's, if it's been clearly put before us in the first part of chapter three, that both of those things are from God, that they can't be attained or obtained by us, that they were attained and obtained for us by Jesus. Why would Paul strive for this? He's gonna, he's gonna finish off that verse by saying this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I just before we even get into the practicalities of what it looks like to strive as a Christian towards the end that, that Paul is striving towards, right? Can we, just, can we just grab how wonderful that is? Not, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul's like, I'm, I'm gonna make it my own. Why? Because Jesus Christ made me his own. Like because Jesus Christ came after me. Like because Jesus strove after me, I'm going to strive after Jesus. Quite simply. 
Now, so look, I, I think I say this fairly regularly, but we're like, we're, we're a polar people, right? Like, so we, we, we gravitate towards one side or the other of an issue generally. We like black and white, not very good in the gray area because it's hard to understand, it's hard to navigate. And I think oftentimes what's so frustrating about the Christian walk is that there's, there's kind of a, not a lot of gray in the sense that like we don't know morally what's good and bad, but a lot of gray in the sense that like there's tension between these two things, right? That righteousness is, is not of works. It's by faith alone that we've been given it. And yet that there is some expectation that, that we press on towards something that, that Christ has set before us that there is some effort involved in the Christian life. And so here's, here's how I, I just want to, for you to picture this, because I think it, it, it helped me. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, these insane people that will just string a rope like between two points that generally are pretty high in the air, right? And they're like, I'm just going to walk across it. O- okay, right? And so I, it's t- walking, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. There was the guy that did it between like the, the two World Trade Center buildings, which is insane. Um, right? That's essentially, I think of the Christian walk that way. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is, this is the path, right? The straight and narrow, this is it. And if you deviate to one side or the other, it's at your own peril, right? It really is. But the good news is, is that, that God has given us the gospel almost like almost like one of those long beams. Have you seen those big, big beams that they hold? And what that does is that whenever, they, whenever they're tempted to lean one way or the other, whenever that gust of wind blows, they can kind of use that to, to offset their weight and bring them, bring them, back, bring them back to center. And so I want, the, the, the gospel for us is that beam that, that, that helps us to, to walk this, this Christian life, that helps us to operate in the tension between God has already given me my righteousness. I, I don't owe God anything because Jesus paid my entire debt. He canceled it. It's gone. And balance that with, there is much to be done for the sake of God's glory. And there is much of Christ that I have yet to attain. There is much of Christ that I yet desire, that I would lay hold of. Because he's good. So, let's keep reading. Verse 13 says this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So again, right, Paul Paul just gave us a, a really long list about how awesome he is, essentially. And he told us how that's, that's not enough for Jesus. And he says that he's, he's counted all things lost compared to Christ. And then he says, but look, look, brothers, do not, do not put me up here. Do not worship me. I have, there is so much that I have yet to attain. And then he says this, but, but there's one thing I do. There's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. This is, uh, this is where we're, I think we're going to get real practical about what it means for us to, to, to strive towards Christ as Christians, all right? Because, because the journey to become more like Jesus is, is not easy. Yeah, I, I walked in here this morning with a, with a fair bit of weight, just kind of thinking like, man, there's so many areas that I'm just like woefully lacking in. 
There's so many ways that I neglect to serve my wife. There's so many ways that I neglect to care for this church. There's so many ways in which I don't walk in brotherly love. There's so many ways in which I am not um, soft towards the people of this neighborhood. And yet, Paul here, I think, gives us very clear, very practical ways for us to move forward. I think for all of us, all of us have a, have a past of some sort, right? Like with, if you're a Christian, you, you, have, a, you have a past with Jesus. You have, you have sort of a sense of what life looked like before Jesus. You have a sense of what life looks like now after Jesus. And, and you've probably in your journey with Jesus fallen over a couple of times. Or some of you, you know what? Maybe you've done just really well up to this point. And I think Paul's, Paul's exhortation here to forget what lies behind addresses both of those things. So look, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if, if you're a Christian in the room and you're, you're thinking back through your life and you're, you're thinking, man, you know what? Like, I, I feel like I've done fairly well. Like, no, no, haven't really done any drugs. Like, you know, never really picked up any alcohol or anything like that. Um, haven't lied too much. You know, don't have a general posture of pride, so on and so forth. And Paul's going to say, look, dude, like, forget that. Forget that because, because that's in the past. And what, whatever good work you may have done has been enabled first by Christ, and now there is more yet to do. So don't, don't look back on your past glories. Right? This is what makes the, the San Antonio Spurs such a great team. <laughs> they don't look back. They don't, man, it's, it's what's next. What are we doing this time around? We can't rely upon what got us there last year. We have to go forward, move forward, knowing that there's something else that's going to be entirely required of us this year. It's the same for us as Christians. Look, you may have had a great year in Jesus, and that's awesome. Praise God for that. Like the Holy Spirit is working in you, and he's enabling you to do those things. And so you thank him for that, but you you don't live in, in or through your past glory. Celebrate what God has done. Absolutely. But brothers and sisters, as you draw breath, there is yet work to be done. There is yet more of Christ, which we can, we, we can gain and understand and love. And look, for, for those of you that maybe you, you have not had an easy walk, like you're, you're up and down, man, depending on the day, like you may or may not believe in Jesus day by day. I know that, so I'm... I'm fighting back a joke here. Um, I have this white hair in my beard. I call it my church planting beard, uh, uh, beard hair. Like it's the one that turned white. Stress, you guys don't get it. Okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's why I shouldn't tell the joke when I can feel it in here. Um, <laughs> but look, church planting is not, has not been easy. It hasn't been easy for me. It hasn't been easy for any of you that have been here for any portion of this journey right? Like all, all of us have kind of walked through some, some difficulties in this season. And I'll just confess to you right now that, look, I mean, there's, there's times where I'm like, is this, even, is this even worth it? Like, what am I doing? Am I just crazy? Like, I, I'm just going to go sell insurance or something. And not, there's nothing wrong with selling insurance, just saying. I'm sure that's stressful too, okay? Just... But, but look, if, it doesn't matter, like if, you've, if you've had a rough year, man, you've stumbled, you've, you've fallen down a couple of times, it's been rough, like, man, you can forget that. 
You can forget that because look, what lies ahead for you is the same. It doesn't matter if you've had an awesome year or if you've had a garbage year. What lies ahead for us is the same thing. The glory of God in Christ, like we will see him face to face. We will know him. We will attain all that is his and who he is, which is most important. Like you will know Christ. And so you can put aside your bad works and you can put aside your good works and you can just look clearly, straightly with great focus on what it is that the Lord would call you to do next. There's so much freedom in this. Look, I don't. Um, I ran. I ran cross country and track all through all through high school, all through junior high too. A lot of years, a lot of running, a lot of miles. Um, and so, let me explain the sport to you because it's really complicated. Um, <laughs> somebody says, "Start here and run to here as fast as you can." That's it. It's as, it's as simple as that. Now, there's all kinds of technique involved. You know, it's very. It's very scientific. There's lots of different approaches to running. I'm joking, okay? Like you put one foot in front of the other. But look, I don't, I've never seen anybody, I've never seen anybody run a marathon race backwards. Have you? It would be dumb. They wouldn't know where they were going, right? I mean, it'd be, it'd, who knows what they would run into? It would certainly be comical. But as far as like, w- would it be efficient? Like would... Would that runner arrive at the goal? No. No. Like, and so look, whether you've been looking back in pride or whether you've been looking back in shame, turn around. Turn around and fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on the goal. I don't run too much anymore, but um, I did run just recently um, a 5K um, at, at a brewery. Um, and, and so uh, where I don't run for glory anymore, if you put a pint at the end of, of the race, um, like I know where I'm going, you know, like I, I know where the finish line is. And so uh, as, as silly as that is, look, the, the, the finish line for you, brother, the finish line for you, sister, is much better than a pint. Because at the finish line is Jesus himself. It's not something that Jesus owns that he's going to share with you, right? It's not Jesus's house. It's not Jesus's things or belongings. It's Jesus. Like you will look Jesus face to face and he who has called you his own, you will call your own. That's your finish line. That's your goal. And so look, as silly as it would be to turn around and run at him backwards, let's let's turn around and run at him with great joy knowing that in that moment like you will be received with open arms that's why paul is so excited so psyched about this race that he's running this christian life and look paul hasn't had it easy right like it's been kind of rough and i don't i don't want to glorify paul because paul would be ashamed if we did that but look he's had it rough And yet he is, look, he is laser focused. Paul Paul had both of those. Do you recognize that? Like he could look back in pride and he could look back in shame. 
He could look back in pride at all the good things that he had done, how well esteemed he was in his culture. He could also look back and say, I've literally killed Christians. I have taken the life of someone who I would now consider brother and sister. And Paul could have wallowed in that. And Paul could have looked back at that and just said, my God, I can't even begin to fathom how you would love me. But that, that gospel balancing beam, that good news about Jesus says, you know what? It's gone. I'm heading one direction. So let's keep reading. It says this, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just in case you were wondering whether or not it was up to Paul, he says in Christ. So again, good news. Verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And here's what's so awesome about, uh, about Paul. I think, especially in this portion, he's just being very pastoral. He's really, he's caring. He's caring for these, these people, this church at, at Philippi. And he's saying, look, if you think life is about anything else, like, God's going to reveal that to you. If you're you're pursuing him, if you're chasing after him, he'll show you. You'll run by the things that you're supposed to run by. You'll take the turns that you're supposed to take because God's going to guide you. He's going to guide you to that goal, to that finish line. And so he's like, look, he's basically just saying, look, like you guys don't have it all figured out yet. And I think for us, like as a church plant, that's, that's particularly appropriate because one, we're, we're fairly young, both as an institution and just as people in general, I think. And I think the temptation for us is to be kind of, one of two things, either scared by that because it's like, oh, like we're going to mess this whole thing up. <laughs> or it's like, no, like we've got this. Like the, the old traditions, everything that's old is, is no longer valuable. Toss it out, like, you know, we got it. And yet, and yet what, what Paul is saying is like, look, God's, God's going to reveal to you. God's going to reveal to you where you are fixing your eyes on things that are on the course as you're running by. Goes on to say this, brothers, join me. Join me in imitating me <laughs> and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So look, I think what, I think what Paul is telling us here or showing us here is that whether, whether you're a Christian or not, like your life is, is filled with striving, right? And, and so the, the end towards which you strive doesn't, doesn't negate the fact that all of us in some way strive, right? You're, you're after something. You're, 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 you've got a goal. There's something that you're fixed upon that you want to accomplish, you want to have, you want to attain, whatever it might be, right? And that, that you strive after. And so the, the question isn't whether or not like we as humans generally are going to strive because we're, we're going to. The question is whether or not our striving is going to be worth it. 
Will our striving add up to anything good, anything that won't be forgotten, anything that won't pass away? And the promise of the gospel and the promise for the Christian this morning, which is, which is why we're so excited. Like if you're not a believer in the room, you're wondering why we're so excited about this stuff. Like, is that the, the, the promise of the gospel, the promise of Paul is that for the Christian, striving for Jesus is worth it, right? I mean, we saw that in, we saw that in chapter two, verse 22, where, where Paul says like, look for, for me, like to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and if, if I am to live in the flesh, then life for me is, is fruitful labor. And Paul is saying this even when the circumstances around him seem as though they're not very fruitful. He's riding from a jail cell. And so Paul is just very honest here. When he explains for us essentially what what the ends of unredeemed striving lead to. That if you're striving for anything besides Jesus, that if you're in the room this morning and you're not a Christian, like this is your reality. And look, I, um, like the, the, the topic of destruction and hell like is never, never fun for a pastor unless you just are sort of masochistic. Um, and yet, look, there, if this wasn't the reality, this where it says the, <laughs> their end is destruction. If this wasn't reality, then it wouldn't lead Paul to tears. And I think, honestly, often the, the, the problem with this message is not so much the message itself, although we're, we're told that that is part of the problem. But the, the problem is that more often than not, this is preached with almost a righteous justification. As though we've somehow earned something. As though somehow we deserve not to be destroyed because we're Christians and because we do good things. That's just shamefully untrue. That's not the gospel. That's, a, that's works-based righteousness. That's self-righteousness. That's self-importance. That's all the things that Jesus both disdained and came to remove from you. That's the cancer of sin in you. So brothers and sisters, look, I just have to confess that I don't weep enough for those whose end is destruction. And so if you want to know why we're in mantras, like, because we want to alleviate that. Because we really believe that, that we have an end that leads to hope. We really believe that that hope is in Jesus. And, and we really believe that Jesus is the only way to, to, to get to that hope, to experience any of that hope. And so look, there... I'm not saying this to, to scare anyone into Jesus. I don't know anybody that I think has been like essentially yelled into Jesus. <laughs> but I won't shy away from telling you the truth that if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you don't believe that he did what he said he did, if you don't cling to him for your righteousness, there is a very real, very tangible destruction for those of us who are outside of Christ. goes on to say that their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And this is what's so, this is what's so sad about, about this whole portion, right? That, 
That if you're not a Christian in the room, what, the, the things of this world that you think will be to your glory will actually be to your shame. Because those things that you think will be to your glory will fail you. That relationship will end. And it doesn't have to end poorly. Might not, might not end in divorce. Might end 60 years from now on, in a hospice. But it'll end. And that house that you really like, it'll get old. And you'll want to sell it and you'll want to move to a different one. And eventually someone will come in and tear it down. And that car you own, it'll rust. And that money, it'll go away and it'll come back and it'll go away. And then you'll die and you won't get to take it with you anyway. Is this uplifting? (laughs) But look, what Paul tells us is, look, you you have a treasure in your possession that moth can't destroy and thieves can't steal. The Bible tells us that in the gospel, we have a hope that will not be put to shame, meaning that what we hope to come to pass will come to pass because the person who promised it is able to deliver. And it goes on finally to say that their mind is set on earthly things. And look, brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're a father of Jesus this morning, look, this is, an, this is just another wonderful way in which God redeems us in that he takes our eyes off of the earthly things and we are freed to behold the glory of the heavenly things. Like that God even allows us to fix our eyes on the prize. That we even get to see what's behind the door before we pick it, Right? It's not like, man, if I pick this door, how's it going to play out? It's like, no, if you pick this door behind it is Jesus. And Jesus is going to give you everything that you ever wanted, everything that you ever needed, because he is all that you ever wanted or needed. So what are the ends of our striving? What, what is it that is promised for those of us who are Christians in the room this morning? Verse 20, it says this, our citizenship I didn't note that he is, he is contrasting these two, these two people, right? The, the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose mind is set on earthly things. He goes on to say, but we, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, not maybe, but who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so look, Paul says, Paul tells us about this glorious truth. Like that, look, if we strive well, if we, if we pursue Jesus, if our, if the, if our life's ends are, are in Jesus, wrapped up in Jesus, look, he's there. And he will, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And you know what? And he says, even if that good news sounds too good to be true, what does he say? He's going to do that by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus can subject all things to himself. He's already subjected your sin to himself. He's already subjected your death to himself on your behalf. And he's going to make your lowly body like his glorious body. We will be like him. What God has decreed will come to pass. 
So look, brothers and sisters, I, I think that I think that there's two two kinds of Christians probably in this room, and I, this is a gross generalization. So relax. Um, I think there's those of us in the room that are weary and we're tired and we don't know how we could possibly go on. That following Jesus is hard, that it's ripping some things from you right now, that it's cutting sin out of your life, that it's removing things that you would, that you would be tempted to love more than Jesus in your life. And this is great comfort for you. Because even, even in your striving, even through your striving, you will arrive at, at the prize, at the goal. That's secure for you in Christ. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, like, to pick yourself up. Better yet, let the people of this church pick you up. Let them speak the gospel over you. Let them remind you where your citizenship is. That this is not, you're, on, you're, you're in a, a foreign place right now. And if you've ever been to a foreign country, it's kind of weird and uncomfortable at first. But you're going home. That's going to that's gonna happen for you. I can, I can promise you. Not, not, because, not because my words are, are, are reputable, but because God's are. And then I think there's some of us in here who, are distracted by the things of this world. And we, we maybe we don't recognize it, but we're caught up in our little sort of microcosm, our little sphere where everything is all about us and everything that's happening is, is really only and all about us. And if you're a Christian in the room, man, open your gaze Fix your eyes on the prize. The prize is nothing that you have or own in this world. It's something that you have and own in Jesus. And so strive, like strive after him. Like put your energy in a place where you, you, you want to talk ROI, like return on investment. Like the, the only investment the only investment that's, that's going to last, the only investment that is sure is that which you place in Christ. That's it. So, so, so press on with us. And this is the people that we want to be here at Sojourn, people who are fixed upon what it is that Christ is doing and chasing after his goodness. I want to read verse one from chapter four says this, therefore, so in light of all of these things, my brothers, my sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So hold fast, stand firm. All your striving will come good. It will. I just want to give you one final image um, just to kind of work, work this, this truth out in your head. I don't know if you've ever, uh, I don't know why you would ever do this to yourself, but I, I, I do it to myself fairly often, I, so I can't explain it. But have you ever watched those, like the homecoming videos, like soldiers? 
they, they're coming they're coming home they they get off the plane or they show up at the airport or they're they show up to like their their daughter's basketball game or something you know and what what often happens is not always but often often what happens is the moment the moment their eyes meet like they just start running they just start running because they like they see it, it's there. Like I, I, I can see you, you're here. I knew you were mine. I knew you were my father. I knew, like I knew those things. But now you're here. You're in front of me. I can see you. I can touch you. I can hug you. I can kiss you. And I think when we look at, when we look at Luke 15, there's this, there's this great story. This great story about a father who has two sons. And, and one of the sons is just kind of honestly a, uh, a little jerk. <laughs> and he says, you know what, dad? I don't want to wait anymore. Give me my inheritance now. Which is essentially like saying, I just wish you were dead so I could do my own thing with your money. And he goes off. It tells us about how he squanders it, about how he spends it all. And he ends up literally living basically in the same place that pigs live. And he says, you know what, man? Like, Even the servants in my father's household have it better than, than I do right now. I'm going to go back and just to just present myself to him and hope, hope that he'll take me in even just as a servant. And verse 17 says this in Luke 15. This is the son talking. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then verse 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That's, that's, That's God running to you. Like, and it doesn't matter if you're, uh, if you're pridefully sinful or if you're shamefully sinful. Like you can, God, God is running to you in Christ and you can run right back. Like, I don't see why you, why you would. Like, if you know, if you know what you're going to see, if you know what you're going to get to hold and touch and feel and hear and understand and love, like run towards that thing. Run towards Jesus. He's the, he's the only thing. And you can know, you can know in the gospel that this is how you're going to be received. That where we would come back sort of slinking. God, I don't please anything. He's going to see you from a, from a ways off and he's going to run towards you. And what, how foolish would we be to just kind of be like, weird, he's running. Like, no, you're going to pick up and you're going to run to him. And so, look, brothers and sisters, like, the life following Jesus is not easy. Certainly not. Especially not when you have to be involved with all kinds of strange folk. And where a lot of times being around that strange folk exposes your sinfulness, exposes what you value more than Jesus. But you know what? Your father is waiting. And I don't know why we would have any reason or desire to tarry 
in that, to just kind of jog to that, right? You just wouldn't do that. Let's pray.